Welcome to the Fast Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Um, today we're going to talk about funding. Uh, we're heading into the winter and we all need to prepare to make sure that we ward off the ills that come, colds, flus, and as you can hear in my voice, um, a, bit of a, a bit of a throat infection. Um, but businesses need to do the same. How do they ward off the ills that, that bring their, grind their businesses to a halt? One of the most common things that we get asked for at Tech Manchester is about funding, how to raise money, where to raise it, and who to raise it from. So I thought we'd bring in one of Manchester's most networked men, best known as Guy Weaver from KPMG. So welcome, Guy. Thank you. It's great to be here. So Guy, um, I think what we'll do is start off and tell people a bit about you, because I know you um, from KPMG, but I know perhaps maybe not as much as I should do in terms of what you actually did there on a day-to-day basis before we move on to what you're doing now. So let's, let's just recap your 20-year career at KPMG and what you looked after there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually 19 years. I nearly made the 20, <laughs> um, but I decided to leave um, in August this year. Um, over the time at KPMG, I've had a fantastic career. So I, started, I came to Manchester, went to Manchester University, joined KPMG as a graduate, and from there spent a number of years like everyone does when they they go through accountancy, train, get my ACA, and then thought, what do I do next? And I was lucky enough to source an opportunity to go to Australia in 2003, which was the best possible time to go to Australia if you're an England rugby fan, because (laughs) England won won the Rugby World Cup. Um, Whilst I was there, um, I sought out opportunities to go and work in Hong Kong, in Papua New Guinea, in the jungle, Um, Then finally came back to the UK in 2005, and at which point um, I decided to think, is audit the career for me? So I moved into corporate finance um, in the M&A world, buying and selling businesses. Um, But then the crash happened in 08, 09, and um, found myself working on some distressed businesses, and actually... The bit, all the businesses I worked for, um, we sold um, for equity. Um, the biggest one was selling to Edgewater Funds in the US, which is the Hilton back private equity family. Um, but in the time of financial stress, um, what we found coming across our desks were a lot of people looking, looking for debt finance. So if obviously the banks had retrenched. And at the time, there's, KPMG had always had a really strong debt advisory business, but based in based in London. So one of the things, the two of us were carved out of the business for six months, pulled together a business plan to look to form our regional debt business. Um, and that's now been going for 10 years. Um, so the later years, I was leading that debt advisory business in Manchester. And over the years, I've helped raise over a billion of capital uh, being debt finance for predominantly uh, northwest businesses in that role. Um, alongside the debt advisory role, um, I think it was just by chance actually, um, a number of years ago, I got to meet a number of people in the, the tech community and really loved the community. I got real interest in tech. So ended up forming KPMG's technology team in Manchester, which is a sort of a team working 
from across all our, the KPMG's different, different disciplines to really get out and support the, the local tech community in Manchester. From that, my, my network grew. So um, one of the things I really wanted to do with the community was bring people together, which is why I started putting on events. And really those events were, were around networking, bringing together both startups um, in a room to learn from each other, but also um, bringing along some of KPMG's larger corporate clients. So we know from those events, generally at every event, someone someone found work. So there was an, an app developer managed to get a contract from Warburton's at one of those events. Someone found a funder. And actually the fee, that as feedback for the event was fantastic. That's why we did the events we did. Sounds like you had a bit <clears throat> of an entrepreneurial spirit um, uh, flow in through that period in, in KPMG um, but you've decided to move on um, to a new, a new company which takes you in a slightly different direction with regards to funding and is also new to Manchester um, could you tell us a bit about them? Yes in um, I think it's the summer I was approached by Pretura Capital which is a, a business not many people know but um, I've known um, the, a number of the founders for quite a few years um, to really come into their business and be 100% focused on tech and actually um, funding technology startups. Um, it's, it's an opportunity that I just couldn't turn down because I love the sector, it leverages my network, and it get, and I end up now, after two months, I'm meeting so many tech businesses and seeing so many propositions coming across my desk. So every day is a different day. Um, I'm seeing something new, I'm learning every day. It, it's, it's a brilliant role. Yeah, your eyes lit up when I asked you earlier how the new job was going and you said about the sort of the innovation that you're that you're seeing coming across your desk. It is amazing. Um, and it's it's often those businesses that aren't in the press that are sort of there they've got their heads down, they're they're working on the proposition that is really leading edge and it's it's the technology we're gonna see in the next three to five years. And it's just like when you watch an episode of Click on the BBC or you're watching the gadget show. It's 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 that those kinds of tech businesses that are coming across our desk. So Pretura <clears throat> Capital, they are going to be coming up and doing things slightly differently um, when they come to Manchester compared to maybe some of the other VCs that have come up from London. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Well, interestingly, not a lot of people have heard of Pretura Capital, but we're actually based in Manchester. We've always been based in Manchester and had a northwest focus. So. The group is very entrepreneurial. So since it was founded, they've now invest, invested over 100 million in, in over 20 businesses. So we have a track record, a portfolio, existing portfolio. And the reason I've come on board and a number of other people into, into the group is to do really more of the same um, and really scale that business, actually invest in more really great startups and support that ecosystem because funding is an issue in the startup world so hopefully with the exciting times we've got ahead at Pretura Capital we're helping solve some of that funding problem. So the podcast series guys dedicated to the challenges that are keeping entrepreneurs awake at night and you've just said it there funding is an ongoing problem for them and so can we take it back to basics I think we need to explore sort of all the different ways that an SME can actually fund their business and then we can talk about some of the areas that um, you feel are some of the sort of ideal investment strategies. So could you maybe give us a bit of a breakdown on um, funding and all the options that are available to them? Thanks, Tris. That That's quite a big question. Um, I guess from the funding side, I, I generally split it into two types of funding, particularly at the startup level. 
there's the equity that, that I'm now 100% focused on, um, which a lot of people know about. So from from crowdfunding um, to things like Crowdcube and Cedars and Kickstarter, um, through to angel investment, through to institutional funds, which which is where we're we're playing. Um, but then on the other side, that that's covering equity. On the other side, there there is debt options available, um, which is often not so well known by the startup community. Um, and often, I know startups are approaching lenders, and it's generally a no. But actually, that that might be because they're approaching the the wrong institutions and the wrong lenders. And it's that knowledge of what different products are out there, because there is a range of products, and it's growing. Uh, month by month, it's it's knowing who are the right providers and how, what is the best fit for your business. And can you give um, any of the examples that are available here in Manchester? Yeah, absolutely. So um, debt funding all depends on where your business is, the traction you've got in the business and the type of business. Um, so not every product is right for every kind of startup business. Um, if you've got good traction and you're profitable, you can generally approach uh, one of the high, high street banks. Now, those those banks on the high street, some of them will have products for um, the startup community. So the, there's Barclays High Growth Product. Um, you've also got in that banking space, if you're in the technology side, um, you have Silicon Valley Bank. But going beyond that, actually, some of the non-bank lenders are really quite interesting at the moment. So if you're looking for funding that actually you you might not be attracting mainstream bank funding, but actually you don't want to be doing an equity round, so you want something in the middle, that's where mezzanine debt could play. Um, and there's a new, um, I'll say new, they've been sort of up in Manchester, I think for around 12 months. An example is Frontier Finance. Um, they've originally came out of Birmingham. So they will do mezzanine checks into high growth businesses. So I know they've, they've, they've already funded one or two in Manchester. Um, so that is an option, but you do need a certain level of traction to attract that kind of quantum. So what is mezzanine debt? Mezzanine debt is essentially a simple way of looking at it is if you're, if you're raising equity, you're giving, you're giving up equity and an investor wants a certain type of return. So that, that can be looked at as you're giving away quite a lot in terms of equity. Um, at the other spectrum, if if you've got a really great business, profitable, good earnings, visibility, you can attract bank debt and that will come with a low interest rate. Um, where mezzanine debt sits in is somewhere in the middle. So you can be you can be talking of an interest rate that could be going from sort of 7% upwards. So actually, it's the lender that's providing that is taking a view on your business to say, actually, you're riskier than actually someone who can just walk to a high street bank and attract debt. But actually, it isn't quite carrying the total equity risk coming from an equity raise. It's somewhere sat in the middle. But generally, for um, a mezzanine player, they're talking to the starting point of a couple of million to put into a business. So that's only relevant if you've got the size, if you've got the traction, sorry, um, and the profit, generally the, the revenue coming through, because some of them will will fund even pre-profit, but actually you've got to look at that mezzanine debt and saying, 
the debt provider will be looking for you to repay it back when that debt terms out, which can be generally three to five years. So you've got to pay it back. So are there any other relevant products that are out there for startups to look at? There, there absolutely is um, a number of other products from um, non-bank lenders, um, as well as some of the, the products being provided by the banks. Invoice discounting is one of those. So if you have a strong debtor book, which is basically a receivable from a customer, so um, you've sold your product to a customer, they're putting you on standard credit terms where they're not paying you for a month, two months, three months, three months, you can get an advance against that receivable from the bank and the bank is basically taking as security that actual debtor from that customer. So that, that, that's one option. Over the last six months, one interesting um, debt product I have seen is um, a lender lending a loan against a company's IP. So this is where they take a valuation of a company's IP they have built up internally and um, they use a, a number of ways to do the valuation. One of them is looking at the company's last three years of R&D claims and lending against that IP. So that, that is another product that is out there. Um, and then I think the final product that I'd mention is there are revenue products that are available. So if you have um, a strong revenue um, if you if you have a strong revenue model in your business it could be recurring revenue coming through there are products out there where a lender will lend against that revenue stream um, and they'll charge an interest rate um, on a monthly basis but that can be very expensive now with all the debt products that you can look at and work out whether it's right for your business there are there are a few things that people need to consider um, one being the covenants that can be attached with a debt product. Um, if you miss a covenant and default on debt, then the lender has the right to um, enforce the security, which, which um, can take some managing. Um, the, the covenants are generally a lot tighter than um, what you'll see in equity documents because the lender is effectively taking um, a different level of risk. Uh, it's, it's all about risk and reward. Um, some lenders will look to take um, personal guarantees from the founders and the startups. So that could be um, if a founder's got a house um, or personal wealth, they'll look to do a personal guarantee, um, which generally we'd say you always want to try and avoid. But actually, if you need the money and you're, you're really sure you're going to be paying it back, actually you might be comfortable with, with giving that personal guarantee. So that sits outside their limited status. So so if it was myself with my own startup a couple of years ago um, and I sought out that type of funding, although we, have, we had the limited status, which would normally sort of protect you, they, the banks would put a personal guarantee so they could still pursue you for that money should the company fail. Is that right? Absolutely. So if yeah. I was to give you 100000 lending into your business. I'd have the security that's actually within the business being a limited company, but I'd also say, can I get a personal guarantee from you, which would be against your assets? It could be linked to your house, which has a mortgage on, so you're actually financially, personally at risk should there be a default that comes from, from the business. So what's the choice? Is it, it's another choice for the entrepreneur? 
It, it is. Some lenders will require that, um, some won't. Um, if you're looking at personal guarantees, it could be you, you could look to limit that to a certain quantum. Um, and once the business starts performing really well and the lender gets more comfortable with the business because they see the earnings coming through, that would be a conversation that you could have with the lender to try and remove that personal guarantee. A lot of those options that you've just talked about, Guy, sound really um, interesting and are great options for those um, startups who have launched, have got a product and are selling it and, and creating revenue into their business. Um, there is another uh, group of startups here a little bit before that who are still in that sort of build-out phase, haven't actually built MVP, um, launched beta testing or generating revenue. Uh, so could we look at those startups that are that are still thinking that they need to get funding. There's a quite a lot of conversation at the minute, particularly from a, a range of different investors talking about encouraging startups to get themselves to prototype at least. Can we look at that area and talk about what the options are for those group? At that really startup level, the, there is help available. Um, there, is, there is government help, um, but it's actually one of the challenges is trying to find that help and find actually what initiative um, can work for your business. So that's generally you need to source out the local authority hub that might be dealing with that so that could be the local enterprise partnership is um, in each of the different regions could be a good starting place um, in Manchester we've got the, the Manchester Growth Company who can can point you into the direction of of startup loans and give you mentoring advice um, in Manchester actually we've been quite lucky that we've got the Northern Powerhouse funds that everyone associates with with equity but actually part of that fund is actually debt. So that's administered by Finance Wales, who will look at um, providing debt funding to startups um, up to 750000 There's another element of that fund that's at, at the lower level, I believe it's um, up to 50000 um, So there's, there's a lot of support out there. Um, it's just finding, finding a route through to the right product for your business. From what you were saying earlier, Guy, it sounds like you are dealing with numerous funding requests from technology startups. What advice would you have for those SMEs and startups wanting to access finance? There's quite a lot I've learned over the last couple of months looking at propositions. Um, we're currently looking around 50 new opportunities that hit our desk every month. Um, we, we haven't really... Um, gone out with a PR campaign around what we're doing so that's inbounds from advisors and it, it, it stags me actually the number of startups out there that are looking for funding so I think startups have got to realise it is competitive for funding um, there's more people wanting funding than actually funding that's actually out there um, startups have, should also do their research on what funders look for in investments Everyone's got different criteria they're looking they're looking for in a startup, in a plan, a diff, different skill sets that they can bring into a plan, and it's key to know what the what that criteria is. Otherwise, you'll be knocking on a closed door, and you'll be you'll be wasting your time as well as that of a funder. Um, in terms of approaching funders, I think one of the things we would expect or we do expect is a detailed business plan and a detailed financial model um, what we what we won't be funding is providing a couple of million to someone who's got a pretty flaky business plan and quite frankly the financial forecasts look like they've been written on the back of a fag pack 
Um, we're actually, as an institution, we'll be deploying other people's money. So we've got to take care. We've got to do our diligence before we actually deploy that money and, and invest in a startup. Now, that, that's a different process to actually approaching an angel who might, might look at you, look at the business plan, think it's a great idea. It's, it's their own money. So the level of diligence they will be doing on you as a business is completely different to actually approaching someone who's going to be putting in a one, two million pound check. You've touched on due diligence there, and I think it's a really important topic. Is there a, is there a standard sort of expectation that um, startups should understand that uh, institutional investors, which can uh, cascade down to the angels, um, would be looking for? Like, what are the sort of key things that you would be asking for that they should be ready to provide? So startups can absolutely prepare um, for a funding round by starting to put documents in into some kind of Dropbox or have them ready to go. Because actually, once you've got an offer from a lender, from a funder, or even a lender, we we talked about bank debt. Um, you want you want to be ready to go. You want to sort of give them everything they need so that due diligence period is short as possible. Um, some of the things um, that we will look for in terms of diligence will be on a deal by deal basis because every every business is different every business is in a different sector has got different levels of traction as a funder one of the things we we fundamentally start with in terms of our assessment of a business is the management team because at the startup level we're actually backing the management team and their idea so we start with is the management team credible? Can we back the management team? Have they got what it takes to scale this business? And actually, fundamentally, can we work with them? Because if you, if you feel there's a personality clash or you can't work with a founder, then that's going to cause issues down the line. So what I'd be saying to startups is, actually, you should be assessing the funder when you're going through your rounds of can you work with them just like a funder will be assessing you or from the other side to say can they work with that startup it should be a two-way process because you've both got to be comfortable to work with each other because you can be working with each other for five six seven years and actually you should be comfortable with them you should be open open together because you're in it together and you're in it to scale the business so everyone wins. So let's go back to that Dropbox. What should be in there um, ready and waiting for the lender or funder um, that the startup can go ahead and get prepared? One of the, the first things to, to look at, which would be fairly standard for any business, is the legal documentation. So before you're approaching a funder, you're generally going to have a lawyer that you're working with. That lawyer should be able to advise you on the list of documents you should be starting to collate to put into that Dropbox of information. So that would cover off the legal aspects. So I'd very much be asking your lawyer for, for that list. They so that's be. your shareholder agreement, your articles of association, that type of thing? Absolutely. And any commercial contracts, anything you've signed up, um, customer contracts, supply contracts, um, if you've outsourced development work, is there any contracts there? So effectively, anything that's legal in terms of contracts 
or the uh, constitution or f from the things you're filing at company's house. So that, that covers off the legal aspects. Then you've got the kind of crossover a little bit onto commercial aspects, which will be diligence around sort of traction to date. So there is a bit of crossover for the legal, so that'll be where you're up to with certain customers. That could be customer orders, purchase orders, um, anything that is underpinning your business plan, um, both historic and looking forward. Um, from the financial point of view, that'll be anything that's, that's, again, underpinning the financial model around your assumptions. So that could be historical R&D claims. Um, it could be the historical accounts that have been um, lodged with company's house, your monthly management accounts, um, any tax returns you've done. I appreciate as a startup, the pre-funding, the financials are going to be pretty limited, but anything in your... But they still exist, because we did them and we do for the first two years, and it wasn't a lot to show, but you still had to do them. Those processes still had to be implemented. Absolutely, and it's the backing to support those numbers. So you'd be sending a financial model that has various assumptions. A debt funder or an equity funder will want to see some justification behind some of the assumptions and be around the forecast, but for the historics, they'll be looking to tick back those historical numbers to things you've logged, calculations, and actually, if it's revenue, actually some of the sales that have come through from customers. One of the final things is also, as I touched on, um, management's really important. So one of the things we'd be looking for is, um, other funders would be looking for, is detailed CVs of the management team. So that isn't just the board, be looking at the non-execs and also some of the key management underneath the board because we're, we're backing individuals, we're backing a team, so we want to understand their background and history, effectively assessing are they capable of scaling this business. So we wanted to talk about the ideal investment strategy for a startup, but is there such a thing? I don't, I, I don't think there is an ideal investment strategy. I think every startup is going to be different. Um, some startup founders will have more money than others, so they, they can take it to a further point before they need external funding. So actually, then when they're doing the funding round, there's going to be less dilution for them. Some founders might have a wider team, so they'll be looking to, or they might have done already, give equity to the key people within their team to lock them into the business, to incentivize them and reward them for actually the hard work. Um, so I think it's really difficult on to answer that is there a standard template that people should follow because people will be going through different funding rounds so some businesses will do one funding round turn to a profit sell get a return others might go through multiple funding rounds like some of our portfolio um, and actually each round you go through looking for investment you are being diluted but the enterprise value of the business is is growing at each each funding stage. We touched on earlier about the um, the legals that you'd be looking for as a funder in terms of the due diligence. And one of those uh, that we mentioned was the shareholder agreement. And we've heard many horror stories where founders who have started businesses together have fallen out as friends later on and um, have ended up in the courts. I'm sure you've come across a few horror stories. What would be your experience of that and any key advice that you would advise people starting out at the very beginning to avoid those pitfalls in the future? I can absolutely see the problem and absolutely see why it happens. Um, 
from when I founded my business, the easiest way to found a business is you just adopt company's house standard articles. A lot of the businesses are bootstrapping, so they don't want to spend the money on lawyers and legals because actually they're focused on traction generally around marketing, getting the product out there, developed, and then forget about the legals. Legals then become a problem, as you, you're right. Um, think people's circumstances change. One of the team then gets a job somewhere else, aren't contributing, but you've promised them X amount of the business. People aren't pulling their wage, you're doing more work than everyone else, or financially you're contributing more than they are. And actually having that set out early, what the expectation is from everyone and what everyone gets if they're not delivering is is very key because it does stop those arguments that could come out later down the line because if it's all written down, agreed at the start, when there is no value in the business, it's not emotional. Mm. When the business is suddenly worth a million pound, two million pound, then emotion comes into it because people think they want a payday, but that might not be the best thing for the business. So you really need to lock that agreement down early get a lawyer there's there's a number of products out there that lawyers are are pushing forward for startups so it is lower cost than what it was get it locked down get the agreement locked down legally because it can save you a lot of hassle in the in the future and when you actually go for funding anyway the articles will be looked at again and and funders will want various provisions in in the documents but actually showing them that you've thought about it before you're approaching funding that you you haven't just adopted companies as standard articles just goes to the credibility of the management team you mentioned there the startup that you have yourself IntroStream. can you tell us a bit about the platform and what it does yeah it was um a business i founded while I was still at KPMG, so I had to ask um, KPMG for permission to do it, go part-time, launch it. And it was an idea that, that, that came about because what I was seeing is, whilst I had this great network of um, technology businesses, I also had this network of larger corporates that I was advising at KPMG that were often saying, I want technology from a business, but I can't find it or I don't understand it. And it was actually um, one of my clients, I sent to check the idea with him, and he said, Guy, I'm old, my business is old, but I need technology. You talk to me about an app, I roughly get what that is, but you talk to me about AI and all these other things, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. So the concept we developed is just a simple one, really, to, to help the two sides connect where a company can post a challenge. It's not a request for tender. It's just a, we're looking for technology to solve a problem in our area of the business or improve an area. And then the the technology members who are on the platform pitch their idea, but we limit that to 350 words. So the reason for that is the technology businesses aren't spending significant time developing a pitch, submitting a PowerPoint. Actually then, when we consolidate it, we just give it to the end corporate and they can quickly look at the ideas and work out actually which one they want to follow up on and which one they want to go for coffee with because actually that's giving them the idea that can solve a problem in their business. And actually, how can they meet someone for a coffee if they don't actually know what the solution to the problem is? 
So a company might be meeting the wrong tech business to solve the problem if they don't actually know what the solution is. That's what I'm trying to fix. <laughs> and it's, I think it's a really great approach because it goes back to the sort of the one of the, the, the failures for startups is where they just chase investment and don't chase customers. You're providing an opportunity for them to find customers. Um, but one of the questions I can imagine those startups might have a concern about would be IP. Even in 350 words, you can give away an idea which a corporate might then just go, that's a great idea, I'm going to run with that on our own. How do you wrap around a bit of protection around the users for that? It is a question that's come out, and it's a, it's something we looked at. So we did build in an, an NDA scheme in it, but we decided not to do anything with it. Um, our view is... If a technology business met, went for a meeting with a company for a coffee to talk around how they can help that business, they would give everything away to try and get that job. So we're saying to them, it's up to you what you put in that 350 words. No one else is going to see it apart from the people in the, our business and the end company. We're not mm. going to post it online. Um, but that's your way to get that coffee and that follow-up meeting at that corporate. So if you're not happy to divulge to something, to it's up to you. You're yeah. not. You're not going to win. Yeah, it's your and your privacy policies there to to protect them from absolutely that going uh, into the public domain anyway. Absolutely. So how's it been going over the first twelve months? And now that you've got a full-time job again, <laughs> it is. And um, guess where the where the business is up to. We we've got it to a stage where it does what it says. And that's been the initial challenge is people really sort of going, are you really going to do that? And actually, we've got some good case studies that should be coming through, which then helps us push the marketing because I've, I've taken advice from sort of um, a couple of friends at Social Chain who said, get your case studies done, get everything lined up first before you spend any money on marketing, which they, they've been brilliant. So over the, over the past 12 months, we've... We've successfully done around 12 challenges on it. Um, we've, as well as the challenges, we've done a number of a number of connections, introductions directly that people won't see coming off the back of the platform that have led to people entering partnerships or securing work. But those challenges have been great because they've not only been local businesses that have come on and believe what I'm saying and I will do. Um, it's actually, I've had a couple of UK large brands, so one being a, a UK bank and one being a large UK retailer that I never expected to be coming on with a challenge on my platform to be tapping into my network. And actually it's giving them, the well, giving the members who are on my platform the chance to pitch for that opportunity that they would never, ever see. It's a great way for corporates to engage with startups. And I think there's a Unilever report that says by 2025, all corporates will be engaging in startups in some way to help innovate their, their business. But they don't all have the capacity to run their own accelerators. So it's almost like you've got you've brought that kind of platform in to make sure that everybody has access to startups. Absolutely. And, and Unilever have got uh, the Foundry, which is yeah. a great initiative. And you look on the website and there's some great businesses that have come through there. Um, but you're right. Most businesses, sort of, it could be small businesses or medium-sized businesses, um, just don't have the people, the resources to understand technology. Technology is changing every day. Mm. Um, you just look at sort of the BBC business website. Most of the articles on it will be tech-related. Yeah, it's how do you keep track on all the different products? Everyone who's sort of says they're a digital agency 
all those digital agencies generally have a specialism and it's actually how do you find out find that specialist that's right for your business so my my view is always if a business is looking to do something that they think is innovation generally it, it already exists and it's already been built for someone else so actually the lowest risk way of doing it and probably the lowest cost is finding out where it exists or who's built it and that's what I'm trying to do so it mm. helps both sides yeah it's taking those um, innovative products that are right there and just changing their application isn't it absolutely so it sounds like you've um, you've been through the whole journey yourself what's the biggest thing that you've learned from um, launching a startup yourself the biggest thing is the support network I've been lucky enough to sort of know so many people so many tech founders that I've actually asked questions of and they've actually dedicated their time to help me. Um, I know most people won't have that initially. So it, what you've got to do is find those networks. So Trish, you run a brilliant mentoring scheme for um, startup founders here. There'll be other ones around the country. It, get into those schemes, get some mentors around you. It's also link up to what Tech Nation are doing with their founders network. There's some great support out there. And actually through those networks, you could find contacts that could fundamentally change your business from where it is today. So just get out there, network and access that support. You're absolutely right. There's so many support networks out there that are that are there to help the startups. We did a, a, a webinar recently just covering that very topic and we talked about everything from within the universities, the student uh, accelerators that are there, like uh, Manchester Entrepreneurs, I guess, for Manchester. And then there's also things like Tech North Advocates, Tech London Advocates. There's lots of support out there. I think it's the what you've said is, is asking, asking for help. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to ask. Generally, if you come across a problem, and I've had a few with doing the startup, <laughs> and actually you talk to founders, and they've all had exactly the same products, uh, um, problems at different stages. Actually, they can give you the advice, and it's really, really quick. It's just knowing and having that network to call on, um, and there's, there's plenty of support out there. So it, it's what I'd say is sometimes it's good to be. I know open about your problems. I know a lot of people like to hold them back, but if you're talking to another founder, they will appreciate that problem because they've mm. probably gone through it. <clears throat> I really enjoyed spending the time with you this afternoon, Guy, and I've certainly taken inspiration from you in terms of how you approach networking. And when I came here to Manchester, you very much made me welcome, so thank you for that. Um, we hope that's answered your questions on funding, um, and we hope that um, it's covered all the different options that are available to you. Please subscribe to the iTunes and podcast and leave a review. Give us your feedback on whether this is answering your questions or what more that you want to hear from us. Uh, you'll also find our contact details there on the, on the podcast and on SoundCloud. So hopefully that has covered everything that you need to know about money and um, that you'll get a better night's sleep. Thank you. Present life to feel.